Thank you for joining us today for this life-changing message from River of Life. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Or download our app in the App Store under ROL Crawfordville. Now, let's join Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. All right, welcome everybody to uh, our Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, I want to thank Brother Bill for speaking for me uh, last week while I was out of town. I appreciate that, Bill. Uh, we are making our way through the uh, Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and we are about halfway done. And tonight we come to Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. And as you can tell from our title, we are going to talk about um, fasting. Now, let's just first of all position ourselves in context so that we know why. If you're here for the first time or, or maybe you kind of came into this a few weeks ago, let's make sure we understand why we're talking about fasting. Uh, Matthew chapter 6 starts a new section of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus begins this section with these words. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So, he's talking to Christians. Now, as Christians, when we are saved, we will have what's called acts of righteousness. Uh, James says this, faith without works is dead. Um, Faith that doesn't have any works that go with it is not a real faith. It's a dead faith. If you have a real, true, saving faith, you will always have accompanying works, right? Right? We would call these acts of righteousness. Now, they can be a lot of things. They can be going to church and gathering together. They can be giving. It can be worshiping. It can be serving. It can be praying. It can be a lot of different things. And Jesus is warning us as Christians. He says, when you start performing these acts, be very careful. Because there's a danger that you will start doing them so that other people will look at you and pat you on the back. And basically what he says is, if, you're, if that's what you want, if you're looking for people to pat you on the back, then that's your reward. That's, that's all you're ever going to get out of it. Now, once he makes that statement, he moves on to deal with three different examples. He deals with giving, he deals with praying, and he deals with fasting. Now, these, these are three things that are very common pretty much to all religions, uh, they were certainly the, the pillars of Judaism, and uh, they also are very prevalent in Christianity. Now, we've already dealt with, uh, with, with giving, and we've already dealt with praying uh, in a lot of detail over the last few weeks. So tonight, we turn to the third act of righteousness that Jesus is dealing with, and that is fasting. So let's read our verses, Matthew six sixteen through 18. Jesus says, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So here's these guys, and they're fasting, and they want everybody to know it. So the first thing they do is they, they, they look very gloomy. You know, they put a frown on their face. They, they have a very sullen look about them. And then that word disfigure literally means in the Greek to cover. In other words, they would cover their face with dirt. They cover it with ashes. They, uh, maybe they don't comb their hair. They put on dirty clothes. They look very disheveled. 
And the whole thing is an act. That's why he calls them hypocrites. Um, they want people to know that they're fasting. And Jesus says, okay, if that's your motivation, then that's your reward. Don't, don't be like that. He says this, when you fast, anoint your face, anoint your head and wash your face. In other words, just be normal. Look like you look every other day. You're not looking special. You just, this is just normal stuff. So that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, let's talk a little bit about fasting. Would you agree with me that in the church today, that we see, if you took those three things, giving, praying, and fasting, would we all say that we seem to put a lot more importance on giving and praying than we do on fasting? We, we promote giving, we practice giving, we promote uh, praying and practice praying. But when it comes to fasting, we really don't promote it and practice it that much. Now, you'll notice when I started this, I, I had every intention this week of doing fasting in one lesson. But as I got into it, I started to realize, man, there's probably people here and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but more than likely there are people right now sitting here that have never fasted. And so, and probably you may not even understand what it's all about. I mean, what is Christian fasting? Why would you do that? What's the point of it? What's the purpose of it? So I, I, I very quickly said, okay, I'm going to slow down here. We're going to cover this in a, in a couple uh, of weeks. So I'm going to assume... So if, if I get simplistic here tonight, it's because I'm making an assumption that there are probably people here who have never uh, fasted. Now, let's go back to our question. Why is, is, why is it that we seem to assign more importance to things like praying and giving and less importance to uh, fasting? Why do we do that? Well, I'm going to give you three reasons, okay? And these are just my reasons uh, why I think maybe we uh, assign it less importance. Number one is that it is not explicitly commanded in the New Testament. It is not explicitly commanded in the New Testament. Now, let me give you an example of what I mean by that. If we look at giving, I can give you multiple scriptures where the Bible tells us to give. For example, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Luke 6, 38, the words of Jesus, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Or 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 18, as for the rich, they are to do good. They are to be rich in good works. They are to be generous and they are to share. Those are explicit commands telling us to give. Same thing is true with prayer. Philippians 4, 6, In everything by prayer, with supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Colossians 4, 2, Continue steadfastly in prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, Pray without ceasing. Those are all very explicit commands telling us to pray, right? Fasting, you will not find that. If you go from Matthew to, uh, to Revelation, you will never find a command that says fast without ceasing or continue steadfastly in fasting, or fast once a week, or fast once... You won't find anything like that 
in the New Testament. Now, that's not to say that fasting isn't covered in the New Testament. In fact, there are 17 different instances of fasting in the New Testament alone. Uh, the apostles fasted, okay? We got, and we'll cover some of those examples uh, next week. The early church, uh, after the apostles, had fasting. And here's the thing I want you to see. Jesus certainly expected that you and I would fast. And we see that in tonight's scriptures. Notice what he said. And what? When you fast, not if you fast. He doesn't say, if you by chance decide to fast. <laughs> no, he says, when you do it. So he certainly expects us to fast. And I'll give you another scripture a little bit later where, again, you'll see that he, he pretty much lays it out there for us without explicitly telling us to do it. So first thing is, it's not explicitly commanded. The second reason I don't think we do it as much is because it ain't easy, okay? It is not easy to do. Uh, any of y'all, if you've not fasted, I'm sure a lot of people here, if you've ever been on a diet, that's hard, right? Dieting is hard, and that's not even going without food. That's just going out without the food that's any good, right? <laughs> You just have to go without the food you really want, but you still get food. Well, now think about going without it at all. That, that is not easy to do. It's a very difficult thing for people to do. So just take those two things. It's not explicitly commanded, and it's really hard. <laughs> so most people would say, well, look, if it don't tell me to do it, because let's be honest, if it said, I want you to fast without ceasing, then we would do it, wouldn't we? Because it is an explicit command. But the fact that it's not explicitly commanded and the fact that it's really hard to do, you add those things together and there's no, there's no doubt or, or you can understand why Christians do it rarely or at least very infrequently. Reason number three, and I'm going to throw this one out there uh, just because it's interesting to me. I was thinking this week that, um, you know, when I was in high school, they taught you American history, they taught you world history. Um, but unless you went to a Christian school, nobody ever taught you Christian history. And, and most Christians are pretty ignorant of how we got to where we are today. And, uh, but one of the, you know, one of the things you, you, to understand who we are and why we pray the way we do and how we have, have certain rituals and certain things we do and don't do, you really have to understand church history. And so I just wanted to point this out. One of the reasons we may not... Uh, uh, assign importance, as much importance to fasting, it could be because we're Protestants. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, if you know anything about the Protestant movement, uh, it started back in the 1400s, the 1500s, in response to some of the errors and abuses and false teachings in the Catholic Church. And if you know anything about Protestants, they had two main things. Number one, that you are saved by grace, uh, saved by grace through faith alone. And number two, the authority of Scripture. Those are the two pillars of the Protestant movement. You are saved by grace through faith alone, not by works, lest any man should boast. And they believed in the authority of Scripture. So it was grace over merit, faith over works, uh, Scripture over tradition. And one of the things that the Catholic Church taught in that day, and by the way, the Catholic Church still teaches this, 
is that they believe that people, when they sin, you have to perform some kind of penance for your sin. And we don't believe that. Scripture tells us that if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He doesn't say, now go over there and give me 50 push-ups. Right? There's nothing in the Bible about that. But the Catholic Church says, no, you've got to do some kind of penance. You've got to pray Hail Marys. You've got to do a rosary. And one of the penances that you can do is fasting and um, uh, uh, abstaining. Now, they even have certain days of the year, for example, Ash Wednesday and Good Friday uh, every, are fasting days, obligatory or required fasting days in the Catholic Church. Um, also, every Friday during Lent, which is the 40 days before Easter, you have to abstain from meat. Now, here's what the Protestants did. The Protestants went to the Bible, and they looked at things that the Catholic Church taught. And the Catholic Church taught, taught the veneration of Mary, right? And they looked in the Bible and said, I don't see that. We're not going to do that. And the Catholic Church taught baptism of babies. And they looked in the Bible and thought, well, we don't see that. We're not going to do that. And the Catholic Church taught obligatory fasting, that you have to fast. And they looked in the Bible and said, I don't see anywhere in here where it says we have to do it. And so it's like the pendulum may have swung the other way. So one of the reasons that we don't do a lot of the fasting that other denominations, and especially the Catholic Church does, is because we're Protestants. Now, here's my question, and I'm not going to try to answer this tonight, but maybe... Maybe we went too far, right? I don't believe in obligatory or required fasting because it's not in the Bible. But I certainly believe that we are to uh, fast. So we've seen that Jesus expects us to fast, yes? He said, when you fast. Now, how often you fast, how long you fast, those are completely up to you. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you have to do it once a week or twice a month or once a year or on Ash Wednesday or on Good Friday. It doesn't tell us any of those things. So if you're going to fast, it's up to you when you do it, how often you do it, and how long you do it. All right, let's turn and look at fasting. So let's, again, I'm going to start very simple uh, tonight. What is fasting? Well, Fasting, uh, the Greek word for fasting literally means to go without food. And that's, we'll talk a little bit in a minute by, about can you fast again with other things, and, and we'll talk about that. But for the most part, fasting is going without food for a certain amount of time. Now, here's the thing. Fasting is not distinctly Christian. It's not just Christians who fast. Pretty much every major religious tradition fasts. Buddhists fast. Hindus fast, Muslims fast, Jews fast, and Christians fast. So it's not distinctly Christian. Not only that, it's not even distinctly religious. We, we can trace, uh, go back in history all the way back to Hippocrates in the 5th century B.C., which is 2,500 years ago, and he recommended way back then that people fast as a cure for certain illnesses. So it's been, it's been used medicinally um, for 2,500 years. Now, over time, that, that's kind of come in and out of vogue, if you will. But today, uh, it's back in fashion. It's a fashionable thing now to fast. Uh, dietitians and scientists and doctors are now telling us that fasting has, 
health benefits. For example, you can lose weight, you can control your blood sugar, you can reduce inflammation, uh, it reduces or prevents cer certain uh, degenerative diseases, prevents certain cancers. So they're out there saying, yeah, man, it's, it's a good thing to go fast. So here's why I bring all that up. <clears throat> you got all these other religions out there fasting. You got people fasting who aren't even religious, which makes it more important that if you and I are going to fast, we get our teaching from Scripture. So don't just go out and read a website about how Muslims fast and what they do, or, or, or some doctor saying, well, you can do this or do that. Make sure you, we get our teaching on Christian fasting from uh, the Bible. Because here's the thing, and this is the first important thing we're going to learn about fasting. Without the right spiritual purpose, it's not Christian fasting. Christian fasting is always done for a purpose, for a spiritual purpose. And unless you have the right spiritual purpose, it's just going hungry. That's all it is. You're not going to get anything from God. In fact, that's, that is really the first really important thing that we learn about Christian fasting is that we always have a purpose behind it. In fact, that's so important. Let's look at it from the opposite way. Let's look at what Christian fasting is not. Christian fasting is not a way to lose weight or gain health benefits. Okay? Now, again, if you want to go fast to, to lose weight or you want to go fast for, for some other reason, I don't care. That's fine. Do whatever your doctor tells you to do, but that's not Christian fasting. Okay? It's not a way you don't fast to show how spiritual you are. We get that, of course, from tonight's verse. It's not, you know, it's not something I'm going to go fast and I want everybody to just know how spiritual I am. If that's your goal, that's your reward. God is not going to recognize that is not a Christian fast. Here's the other thing about a Christian fast is it's not a ritual. Now, it's, it's like prayer. You remember what we said about the Lord's Prayer? You can recite the Lord's Prayer from memory, and as long as you're engaging in your heart, that's great. But if you're not get engaging with it in your heart, those words are just coming out of your mouth and going to the ground. They mean absolutely nothing. Well, here's the same thing. If, if I fast on Good Friday, there's nothing wrong with that, as long as I'm engaged with it. As long as I, my heart is engaged for a spiritual purpose, the day doesn't matter. But if I'm fasting just because it's Ash Wednesday or I'm fasting just because it's Good Friday because my denomination or my church or my family or tradition says that I'm doing it, that is not a Christian fast. That is not done for the right purposes. Now, I'm going to say one more thing about this, and I'm going, I've got to explain this one. Fasting is also, Christian fasting is not a way for you to get what you want from God. You see, I'm afraid some people look at fasting as I'm going to put a quarter in the slot and I'm going to get my piece of bubble gum. In other words, I'm going to fast and I'm going to show God just how serious I am. If he sees me going without food and, I, and, and the longer I do it, man, he's going to give me this thing. I, I went out real quick and I just Googled some, some books on fasting. And, it, and I don't know why. Do you know how many books that people write out there? It is unbelievable how many books there are. And if you read some of the titles, they always use words like secret, hidden, unlock, <laughs> breakthrough. There's this idea that if you just fast, man, that's the secret to unlock 
all these break. Listen, folks, if you approach it like that, I'm, I'm sorry, that's nothing but a work. That's nothing but a, you're, you're saying, I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to earn this thing. That's not Christian fasting. That's, that's not, and, and unfortunately, that's what a lot of people, how they approach fasting as, as some way to leverage from God what they want to get. I've been guilty of that. I've been guilty. I'm going to fast until I get what, I, what I'm asking for. But that wasn't God's will. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. So what I want you to understand is there are fasts that God will not recognize. If you want to do a little homework uh, this week before we come back, you can read Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58 is what's known as God's uh, fasting chapter or God's chapter on fasting. Um, it talks a lot about fasting. In that chapter, you see this. The people are saying this to God. Why have we fasted and you don't see it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? And that's because their motivation was wrong. We've got to make sure. See, that's what, when it comes to giving, what does he care about? He cares about our heart, right? What, when we come to praying, what does he care about? He cares about what's in our heart. And the same thing with fasting. What is our motivation? So, with that said, let's talk a little bit about Christian uh, fasting. What is Christian fasting? Well, here's a definition, kind of a longer one. Christian fasting is the act of intentionally abstaining from something good, and, and in most cases that is food, in order to focus on something greater, which of course would be God and, and His work in our lives. Um, if we were to just put this in a nutshell, we might say that Christian fasting is abstaining from food for a greater spiritual purpose. And I'm, I'm going to hammer that home over and over again. Christian fasting is always, a, with, has, it always has a purpose behind it. See, that's important because we're prone to think of fasting in a negative way. In fact, if I just say the word fasting... I can immediately, most of the words, I mean, most of the thoughts that come into your, uh, in, into your head are like, oh man, I, you mean I can't eat? I got to go without food? I, I can't have pork chops? Um, you know, it, it's all negative. You, you think about the pain, you think about the suffering, you think about all of that stuff. And that's understandable, because fasting means going without. But what you and I have to remember is that fasting always has a higher goal. Fasting is always done for some greater purpose, some eventual gain, something you're getting, not something you're giving up. So this would be my definition. Christian fasting is abstaining for the sake of some specific spiritual purpose, or else it is not Christian fasting. Now, I want to, not everybody can fast from food. Okay, this, is, this always comes up. This is always a question. Some people have uh, health issues, diabetes, or maybe something else, and they just can't go without food. Other people, maybe they work a physical job, and, and it's, they have to put food inside their body to be able to work that job. Can we fast from things other than food? And the answer to that is absolutely. Again, fasting from food is not going to be uh, everybody's not going to be able to do that. So you can certainly fast from other things. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, fasting should really be made to include abstinence from anything 
which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of a special spiritual purpose. So, for example, you could fast from TV. You could fast from social media. You could fast from a computer. You could fast from reading of books. It's anything that you enjoy, okay? It, it, you, you can't say, well, I'm going to fast from mowing the lawn, right, if you don't like mowing the lawn. You, you don't just pick something you don't like. The idea is you give up something that you enjoy. You give up something that's good to focus on something greater. So you can find something in your life that's good and that you enjoy, and you can certainly, uh, you can fast. If, now, I will say this. I do think that if you are able, it is clear in Scripture that it is food that you should fast from. That is fasting. That's the meaning of fasting. But certainly, if you cannot fast from food for physical reasons, then um, there's absolutely nothing. And in fact... Let me just prove to you that I'm not just pulling that out of thin air, that we actually have Scripture for that. 1 Corinthians 7, 5. Paul is talking about a man and a wife, and listen to what he says. He says, Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. So here is a man and a woman who are, have, have decided we're going to step away from sexual relations, step away from something that's good, something we enjoy, and we're going to devote ourselves to prayer for some specific purpose. And by the way, that brings us up something we're going to talk about next week, and I'll just go ahead and point it out right here. You can pray without fasting, but you cannot fast without praying. Let me just say that. You can pray without fasting. We do that every day. But you cannot fast without praying. The whole point of fasting is abstaining from something and coming over here and seeking something greater. And we'll talk about that more next week. Now, the last thing I want to cover here tonight, if we really want to understand fasting, then we need to look at it both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And one of the questions we need to ask is, are they the same? Is New Testament fasting the same as Old Testament fasting? So let's talk for a minute about Old Testament fasting. Did you know that there is only one required fast in the Old Testament? Only one. That's the, there's one obligatory, one required fast, and that is on one day of the year known as the Day of Atonement. Now, I won't go into the, the Day of Atonement. For those of you, if you've got any questions about it afterwards, you, you're welcome to come up. But the Day of Atonement was one day a year when the priests would go through these elaborate rituals. They would kill these animals. They would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. They would let the scapegoat go into the wilderness. There was all these elaborate rituals, and it was all about forgiving the sins of the people of Israel. And on that day, which was all about atonement, all about the forgiveness of sins, all about the payment of sins. On that day, every Israelite had to fast. Leviticus 16.29 says this, And it shall be a statute to you forever, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves, and that word in the Hebrew means to fast, and do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. So one day a year, one day a year, you had to fast. Now, you can see the point of this fast, right? It wouldn't make no sense if you're back at the house, kicked up on the couch, eating your pork chops, and the priest is out there 
slaughtering animals, that makes no sense at all, right? God says you come participate, you fast on this day, you humble yourself, you reflect, you repent, uh, and, and think about the ways that you've broken my laws and broken my standards. So fasting on the Day of Atonement was all about mourning. It was all about humbling. It was all about a time of reflection over your sin. Now, that was the only required fast in the Old Testament, there, but there's fast all over the place. I mean, they could just call a fast. They, people would fast on their own. Sometimes God would say, you need to fast. Let me give you a few examples, but I want you to look at what's common. 1 Samuel 7, 6 says, So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against God. So once again, you see this idea of fasting uh, being connected to mourning and the forgiveness of, of sins. Zechariah 7, 5, after the people had sinned and, and God sent the Babylonians and they were carried away into captivity for 70 years, they decided they were going to implement some extra fast twice a year. And God said this in Zechariah, Zechariah 7, 5, Say to all the people of the land and the priests, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month for these seven years, was it for me that you fasted? Notice again, fasting has to do with mourning. It has to do with sorrow over your sin. I'll give you one more, Joel 2.12. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So when you look at fasting in the Old Testament, always is about mourning. It's all about humbling yourself, being sorry for your sin, asking for forgiveness. That's what the Old Testament fasting was all about. Okay, so I want you to remember that because it's going to get important here in just a minute, that it's always about mourning. Now, listen, obviously we no longer are required to practice the Day of Atonement. Um, John said that's Jesus who takes away the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, right? The author of Hebrews says that as our high priest, he offered for once uh, a sacrifice for all, and then he sat down. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. So we don't have to do any of that stuff anymore. So the only required fast in the Bible doesn't apply to us, us anymore. Yet, Jesus said, when you fast, he certainly expects us to fast. So here's my question. Is our fasting to be like their fasting? Should our fasting be all about mourning? over our sin and forgiveness and atonement? and, and be, uh, it, Should we fast the same way? Well, thankfully, somebody asked Jesus a question about fasting, and he answered that for us. There is an event in the Bible that's actually, it's, it's, uh, it's recorded in all three of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this same event. And I'll read it first from Matthew 9. It says, Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't? So here comes these guys, and they come to Jesus, and they've been noticing that his disciples, they're not fasting. But they are. Now, you may say, well, and, and by the way, remember, there, there is no New Testament yet. Christ hasn't died. Uh, there is no New Testament yet. So their fast is still the Old Testament fast, right? They're mourning. They're weeping. They're, they're, they're crying over the sin of themselves, their country. And they come and they basically are pointing the finger at the disciples and say, what they're doing, they're, we're right. We're fasting. And 
They're wrong. Why aren't they fasting? In Luke 5, it says this, And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But your, your disciples, they're just eating and drinking. And they wanted to know why. Okay? Jesus answers with a, what I would call a word picture. Okay? He answers with a word picture. This is what he says in the Matthew 9, first part of verse 15. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guest mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Now that's... That's a rhetorical question, by the way. The answer to that is obvious. You don't mourn at a wedding. You don't mourn at a wedding. That is a celebration. So to mourn at a wedding would be stupid. It would be inappropriate. It would make no sense, right? So Jesus says, how can they, how can they mourn when the bridegroom is with them? Now, by making that statement, Jesus tells us three things, okay? The first thing he does is he's confirming that fasting is connected to mourning, right? How can they mourn when the bridegroom is with them? So he understands that in that day, fasting is going to be connected with mourning. Okay, so that's the first thing he validated. The second thing, and we don't want to overlook this, is he makes a tremendous claim about himself. A tremendous claim. You know, I hear people say all the time, Jesus never said he was God. Yes, he did. He said it over and over and over again. And he said it right here. And the Jews understood it. You see, in the Old Testament, God pictures himself as the husband of Israel several times. He does it in Isaiah. He does it in Jeremiah. He does it in Ezekiel. And he does it in Hosea. So he says, I'm, I'm your husband. You, and in fact, a lot of times he says, you, you've committed adultery. You've gone after other gods. So God says, I'm your husband, and then Jesus comes on the scene and says, the bridegroom is here. I've come for my bride, which we know, of course, is, is the church. Now, listen, that is, that is claiming to be God. That's exactly what he's doing, and we can't overlook that. And in fact, for the disciples, that statement that God is here, that is so incredible, so stunning, so glorious, so beautiful, that how can they mourn? How could they mourn? There is too much joy. In fact, the thing that they've waited for for a thousand years, they've been waiting for him to come. A thousand years of mourning and yearning and longing, and he steps on the scene. How in the world could they mourn? In fact, the absence of mourning, the absence of fasting by the disciples is a witness that God is standing right there in their midst. Now, here's the third thing he tells us in verse 15. He tells us that he expects his followers to resume fasting. Let's read all of verse 15. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? That's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. And then he says this, But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then, say it with me, they will fast. Now, there's no explicit command in the Bible telling us, but that's about as close as you can get. Jesus said, when I'm gone, they will resume fasting. Richard Foster, in his book, Celebration of Discipline, says that this is perhaps the most important statement in the New Testament on whether Christians should fast today. Right there, Jesus said, they will fast. 
And let me tell you why I keep bringing this up, because there are those out there who will teach you that Christians should not fast, that Christians don't have to fast. They would just say, you know, that was an Old Testament thing. It was all about mourning, and we're not, we don't have to do any of that anymore. We should be joyful and happy and glad, and we don't need to fast anymore. But that's not what Jesus said. John Calvin said this about that verse. He said, Christ, when he excuses his apostles for not fasting, does not say that fasting is abolished, but he appoints it for times of calamity and joins it with mourning. In other words, he had a perfect chance right there to say, man, fasting's over. Fasting's done. No, No need to fast anymore. I'm here. But that's not what he said, is it? He said, they're not going to fast now, but when I leave, then they will resume fasting. Now, stay with me for just a minute. If he had stopped right there and not said another word, we would make an assumption. We'd say, okay, once he's gone, we're going to go back to fasting the way the Old Testament fasted, right? That would make sense. They're going to resume fasting. It's all going to be about mourning. We've got to go back and fast the way we did. So we would look to the Old Testament for our example if he stopped right there, but he doesn't. He uses two more word pictures. And I'm going to give these to you, and before I give them to you, I want you to remember he's talking about fasting. This is the first thing he says. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Now, this is a word picture, and you all get what it's saying, right? You got, a, you got a shirt that you've had for a long time, and it's been washed and dried and washed and dried and washed and dried. And after a while, it doesn't move anymore, right? It's, it's shrunk all it's going to shrink, and it gets a hole in it. And he's saying, you don't go out and get a new piece of cloth and patch that hole. Because now, the next time you wash and dry, now that patch is going to start shrinking, And it's going to tear away from that garment, and the hole that it makes is going to be worse than the one you patched up. That's his word picture. And he's talking about fasting. Then he says this, Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. So wineskins, for those of you who don't know, were made out of animal uh, skin. And after a while, you know, when you first have an animal skin and you, you make a wineskin out of it, it, it's kind of flexible. It can stretch and move. But as it gets older, eventually, like, a, like an old shirt that's been washed and dried, it gets to a point where it's not moving anymore. And if you put new wine in it, wine that's still fermenting, wine that's still creating these gases, what will happen is the air inside of that will expand and it will burst that old wineskin. Jesus said, nobody does that. If you got new wine, you put it into a new wine skin that can, that can kind of contract and, and shrink with, uh, or, and expand and contract with the, with the gases, okay? And he's talking about fasting. Now, what in the world does that have to do with fasting? Well, what Jesus do, is doing here is he's teaching the incompatibility of the old with the new. You, he's saying the way it was done there and the way it's going to be done here, those two are incompatible. They don't go together. See, Judaism is the old wineskin. It's the old garment. 
Christianity is the new garment, the new wine, the new wine skin. And the point is not that the old was bad. That's not the point. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17? I've not come to do away with that because it was bad. I've come to fulfill it. So he's not saying that was wrong in its time, but its time has passed. Something new is on the scene. You see, Christian fasting under the new covenant will be different. We will not fast like they fast. Our fasting is going to be different. Now, next week, we'll get into some examples. I'll give you some very specific examples about fasting. We'll get into very, some very practical things. But for tonight, I want to just say this one thing. If nothing else, our perspective on fasting is completely different from those in the Old Testament. Completely different. See, in the Old Testament, on the Day of Atonement, they're, they're yearning for a Savior to come. They're yearning for someone that can take away their sin so they don't have to kill these animals year after year after year. They're looking for a Messiah. And so they're mourning and they're fasting and they're, they're looking forward. Now, that wasn't bad. They were doing what they could do back then. But a better way is now here. See, the bridegroom is now stepped on the scene. And because he's here, nothing's ever going to be the same, including our fasting. You see, the bridegroom is here, the blood is shed, the lamb is slain, our sins are washed away, death is defeated, the grave is empty, he is risen, and the Spirit is here. How can we fast the way they did? That would be crazy. See, the wine is new, and that old fasting mindset, those old rituals of the Old Testament, they're not adequate anymore. They don't cut it anymore. Yes, we're going to fast, but we're going to fast differently. New wine demands new fasting. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Fasting now, and there's a lot of reasons to fast, and as I said, we'll cover them next week. But notice what Jesus said. When I'm with you, you can't fast. But when I'm gone, you will fast. Now, what does that tell us? That tells us that New Testament fasting now becomes more than anything else a real desire for the presence of Jesus in my life. It's not about what anymore. It's about who. It's not about what I can get or what it's going to do for... No, it's about who. The bridegroom has stepped on the scene. You see, we fast now totally differently than they did. They were looking for something that was going to come, but we've already tasted it. And we want more. I was thinking, I was thinking today, how do I explain this? I, sometimes I just struggle with trying to explain things. And I, I was thinking about this. This is a terrible analogy, but that's the best I could do. Think about if somebody came and told you that there's this cake out there that is unbelievable. It's, there is no cake like This cake is the best cakes ever you've ever put in your mouth. There's nothing like it. It puts your carrot cake and your, and, uh, your, your chocolate cake and, and, and uh, all the you know, German chocolate, all those things. It puts them to shame. This, this cake is unbelievable. So you spend years thinking, man, I'd like a piece of that cake. You know, you just eat your regular cake and you go about it and you think, boy, but you just think, man, it'd be really nice. Every once in a while, it just crosses your mind. I'm mean, if I could have some of that cake. And then one day, somebody puts a piece of that cake in front of you, and you take a bite, and they were 
dead on right. This is unbelievable. You've never had anything like this. And then it goes away. Now here's the thing. Do you think your yearning for that cake is going to be the same after you've tasted it as it was before you tasted it? See, before you had no idea how good that was. And now you do. See, that's the way it was in the Old Testament. They didn't know. They didn't know how good it was going to be with the bridegroom, but we do because we've met him. Because his spirit lives inside of us. We've tasted it and we want more. We're not satisfied anymore. See, this is what's new about new, the New Testament fasting. We fast now because we've tasted his presence and we won't be satisfied until we can know him fully. It's about Jesus. We want more of Jesus. Somebody said that, that fasting is like getting... Think about this earth and there's all this pain and struggle and sorrow. It's like, a, it's like dirty air and fasting is like trying to get your head out of that just to get a taste of Him. Listen, when Jesus comes back, fasting is going to be over. It's just temporary. Only while He's gone. In fact... When he comes back, he's not going to call a, uh, call a fast. He's going to call a feast. There's going to be the wedding supper of the Lamb. And at that point, it'll be just like that. no more fasting. No more mourning. No more yearning for his presence. Because we will see him as he is. Fasting will be over. And it will have completely served its purpose. But until then, we fast. Until then... We fast. Now, I mentioned that several times that Christian fasting is abstaining from food for a spiritual purpose. Next week, we're going to come back, and that's what we're going to focus on. What, what, are, what are we taught in the New Testament about why we should fast, when we should fast, how often we should fast? We'll give you some. There's some people in this church that have fasted. There's one person I know that's done it for 40 days which is unbelievable. But there, there are people have, that have fasted and know what fasting is all about. But if you've never done it, I encourage you to come back and uh, we'll try to do a fairly comprehensive study next week on fasting. And, uh, and I would love to see, and I know Pastor Henry would, would second me on this, I would love to see fasting become a more prominent part of this body. Because I think it's got some incredible benefits, not for just as a church, but as you and I, uh, for you and I uh, individually. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word as we always do. Uh, how incredible, God, that we, uh, here we are these many years later and we're still doing what you said. They will fast. And so, God, I pray that you will just put a hunger in each and every person here. We know it's hard. We know that there's a, our first thought about it is negative. But God, I pray that you just push that away and that you help us have a hunger, not just for fasting, but for what fasting brings, which is more of you in our life. God, that we should want that more than anything. So I pray, God, you give me the words next week to, to, to teach these things. And I pray, as I said before, that you give us a hunger uh, to, to hunger to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. You are dismissed. Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200 or email us at info 
rolcrawfordville.com. We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Please visit us online at rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions.